Today we launch a brand new series. Now, I know we did not put four cups out there on the posters because we didn't want to overshadow Easter, and so all you see is Easter. And matter of fact, we've got a bunch of these little cards. We ordered a 1,000 of them. And by the way, uh, let me give you a little instruction. I failed to do this in the first service, but you guys are special, so I'm going to tell you. Um, anyway, this coming um, probably Tuesday or Wednesday, you're going to get a big card in the mail that's going to be the big brother of this one. It looks just like it. Every home in Camden County and Charlton County is going to get that card. Amen? So we're sowing seeds. We're planting seeds, and we're believing God for 1,100 people on Easter Sunday. I just believe God's going to do it. And so... But the best way to advertise is for you to personally hand that card to someone and personally invite them to be with you in this great experience. You ain't even got to say, I want you to come to my church. Just come and experience this service with me. Come and let's celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. And so um, anyway, we're excited about that. And so today we launched this brand new series, and by the way, if you don't know me, I'm Mike Sainz, the lead pastor here at the harbor, and I'm delighted to see you. We're glad to be home from, from Guatemala, and today we're going to talk about four cups. Have you ever taken communion? Sure, you've, you've taken communion, right? And communion, what is communion? It is the bread and the cup. But as I got studying and digging into this series that we're launching entitled Four Cups, I found out originally it was not just one cup, but it was four cups. And I kind of scratched my head about that, and I had to study a little bit deeper and dig a little bit deeper. But I found out that indeed there were four cups, and it's based on a scripture out of Exodus chapter um, uh, 2. And, uh, or chapter 6, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but nonetheless, um, inside of that scripture are four statements, and what the old-timers would do is they would read that scripture, they would rehearse that scripture, and they would read each statement, each of the four, and after they read the statement, they would take one of the cups. Then they would, you know, take the other statement, and then they would drink of the wine. Then they would read the other statement, all four of them. These four promises come to us, and they represent the core promises of God. In fact, all other promises made in the Scripture is encapsulated inside these four. It is going to be an amazing series, and it's going to last for six weeks. And I say six weeks, it really won't, because today is the first installment. Good Friday night, we're going to talk about the Passover lamb. You do not want to miss this. Good Friday night will be a candlelit service. We'll preach on the Passover lamb, and then we will take communion, not with a disposable cup and little round wafer, but we will literally break the bread together and share the cup. Uh, well, not share everybody the same cup, but you understand. Everybody will have their own cup, but it won't be the disposable. It's going to be very nice. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be incredible. So, so these four statements come from this passage of Scripture, and they have been read from Moses till today. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, he mentions the cup several times there. But, uh, and I wonder why, but I come to find out there's actually four cups that we're talking about. Now, what they do, um, these cups represent the plans of God for his people. They represented the plan of God for his people, Israel, that was 
in bondage in Egypt. But I found out that not only did these four statements and these four promises apply to those people in Egypt, uh, not just for that time, but it applied for their whole life. And then as I read further, I found out that these four promises that he gives us is not just for them people, but it's for us also. And then I found out it's not just for them, but it's their children and their children right on down to where we are. And so I was reminded as I was studying, I just began to think and I said, well, you know Jeremiah 29, 11. Do you, you remember Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Amen? He said, I know the plans that I've got for you, the thoughts that I think towards you, good thoughts and not evil, to give you an expected end. It's almost like an architect saying, these are the drawings, these are the plans that this building's going to look like in three months. And, and when you take those plans, you open them up, and there's the landscaping. That's what that's going to look like. Then here's the foundation, the footing. That's what the layers. I mean, then here's the electrical, uh, you know, on and on. Here's the plumbing. Here's the lighting, everything. And I want to tell you that God has made some promises to us. <clears throat> and, and they're all encapsulated in these first four core promises of God. And what God says is, I know all the layers of your life. He said, I've got plans for you when you were born. Jeremiah said before, I was formed in my mother's belly. He knew me and ordained me a prophet unto the nations. So God had plans for your, your birth. He had plans for your childhood. He has plans for your adolescence. He has plans for your marriage. He has plans for your children and your grandchildren. God has layers of plans for you, and it all hinges, and it's predicated upon these first four core promises of God. I want you to stay with us. I want you to join us today. I, I'm going to be talking about the core promises. This is kind of an overview of them. And then Friday night, we're going to do the Passover lamb. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll deal with the first core promise. And then the next Sunday, which will be baptism Sunday for those who got saved, we're, we're going to be dealing with the second promise and then the following, the third, and then the fourth. We're excited about it. Can you tell? Amen. So these promises affect us today. These represent the things that God wants in our lives. Let me say this. When we build our life and our ministry around the promises of God, we cannot help but be blessed. But if we build it upon anything else, we're in trouble. Did you know God wants you to live an abundant life? He does. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. God wants you to live better off than what you're living. I'll bet you if I was to take a survey right now, I, I, I bet more than 50% of the people, if you would be honest with you, could raise your hand and say, there's got to be something more than what I'm experiencing right now. And someone else might ask the question, uh, is there something more? There's got to be something more. And so today I want to talk with you if the Lord would help me about the idea of these promises. Now I want you to join me in looking at 2 Peter 1 and 4. 2 Peter 1 and 4, the Bible says God has given us these great and precious promises so that through them you may be able to participate in the divine nature. Some of you are still participating in the carnal nature. Are you with me? Say amen. And he said, that I've given you these promises that you might be able to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by the evil desires. So um, let me give you, if I may, 
uh, an idea. God says, I have more on the table. You know what the word promise, it comes, um, uh, that promise, uh, if you go all the way to the etymology, way back then, it, it literally, uh, when I believe it was the 15th century, the definition of promise as we know it is an offer with a guarantee. Now, I don't know about that, about you, but I kind of like when someone makes me an offer with a guarantee. In other words, they say, you can't lose. An offer with a guarantee. So what, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, I'm simply saying this, that God has an offer on the table. God has a, some, some promises on the table. And if we'll take advantage of these, I'll guarantee you, you will have a better life. You will live an abundant life. Now, let me dive in. Joshua 21 and 45 says, Not one of the good promises which the Lord has made to the house of Israel failed, but they all came to pass. They was all fulfilled. Amen? Not one of the promises of God has failed. Now, let me read Hebrews 6 and 17. This comes out of the Message Bible. I just want to, for clarity and for, um, I just want to show you this. Watch this. Hebrews 6 and 17, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. He says, God cannot break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. You know, the devil don't like that. But, but here's the deal. He can't do nothing about it. God has made us some precious promises several thousand years ago. Amen? And he says these promises don't change. You might even act a fool. He said these promises don't change. You might even do something stupid. Probably never done that, huh? He says, but these promises don't change. Amen? He said they're unchangeable. We have run... For our very lives to God with every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. You see, God wants us to grab on. And here's what I want you to do when I tell you these core promises today. I want you to grab on to the promises of God and never let go because they are the reason that we have hope. Now, there's some things you need to know today. First of all, I want you to know the promises of God. How do you know the promises of God? Well, you got to read the Word of God. Huh? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. So you've got to read the Word of God. You need to read your Bible every day. And as you begin to read your Bible every day, find a scripture, find a verse that, that fits your situation. Did you know there's an answer in the Bible for every situation in life? It truly is. You're not unique. You're not the only one that's ever lost a loved one. You're not the only one that's ever, you know, lost a house or a car. You're not the only one that's ever, you know, lost a job or, or, or failed or went bankrupt or failed out of school. Somebody else has done it too. He said, so God has made us some wonderful promises. Let me just, uh, if I may, highlight just a few. He promised us eternal life. How about that? If we would believe upon him. He promised to give us forgiveness he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if we will ask him to forgive us, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise of God. He has promised to remove our sins. Where? Well, as far as the east is from the west. He has promised us the Holy Spirit if we will only ask. He has promised to bless our money. Uh-oh. But here's the problem. Some of you got to understand when God gives us a promise, there's also a premise. Let me help you understand this. The premise is in one particular place, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
That's the premise, the promise. Then I'll hear from heaven. Huh? I'll be their God. And that they'll be my people. You know, uh, I, 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 will, I will take care of them. So we want the promise without the premise. Uh, we don't want to seek God. We don't want to turn from our wicked ways. We don't want to do all of those things. But here's another. He promised to bless your money. Someone said, whoa, yeah, praise God. I need him to double my money. Well, Malachi said it like this. Here's the, here's the premise. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord. Got quiet? That's the premise. Bring all the tithe in the storehouse, says the Lord. Where's the storehouse? It's the church. Bring all the tithe in the storehouse, says the Lord. And then see, he said, prove me now herewith, says God, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't even have room enough to receive. Huh? The premise is obey the Lord. The promise is I'll bless you. And, and you want the New Testament version of that? Matthew said, give, and it shall be given unto you. We want everybody to give unto us, and we don't want to give nothing. As a church, you're, why are we so blessed? We get, did you know we gave over $108,000 outside the walls of this church last year? Amen. He said, no, 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 Pastor, we could have paid the church. No, 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 no. We wouldn't have been blessed the way we're being blessed if we tried to hoard everything. You don't understand the principle of God. The principle is, he says, if you give, then I will give. And my hand is bigger than your hand. Mm -hmm. So here's the problem. Give and it shall be given. Good measure. Press down, shaking together, running over. Here's another one, and I'll move on. Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Somebody, people not putting God first, not, you know, all this, that, and the other. And, and then that's the premise. The promise is, and then all of these things that you're worrying about, what were they worrying about? What are we going to put on our feet? What clothes are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? What are we going to eat? All of that stuff. He said, here's the premise. Seek me first, and I'll make sure all that gets taken care of. Amen. Well, hallelujah. So, he promised us to bless our money. He says, I'll, he promised to supply my needs. Did you know Philippians 4, 19 says, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's a promise. You know, when I, when I came down here 21 years ago, I wrote all promises I could find in the word of God on three pages of a legal pad. I would hold it up in the air like that, me, the only crazy one in the whole church, in the old church down there, and I would ask God, would you read this back to me? You said you would supply all of my need according to your riches in glory, and we need a lawnmower, and we need a sound system, and we need a sign, and I need to get paid Sunday, and all of these things. Hello? That's right. The promises of God are yea and in him amen. He made us promises that he would bless and supply our needs. But we have to, we got to come to him. And then he also says, he's given me the ability, he promised me that he would help me accomplish something. You know what he said in Philippians 4 and 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all, I can fly the space shuttle. If I need to, the Lord will help me and I can do it. Are y'all with me? It is out of commission. Huh? But, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He has promised to give me wisdom. Some of y'all need that. In James chapter 1, if any man lacks wisdom, and I know that because I see some of the Facebook posts some crazy stuff. Huh? If anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. And God promised to give us wisdom. So listen, the problem is some of us got the wisdom and we just choose not to use it. 
He promised us wisdom. He promised to help us with temptation. He said, no temptation has taken you, uh, but such is common to all man. And God is faithful with every temptation. He's already made a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He promised us protection. He said, he'll cover us with his feathers, and under his wings we'll take refuge. And he'll be our shield and our buckler, and we can run to him. And he's the great pavilion that, that we can hide underneath. Are you with me? Say amen. He has promised that nothing shall by any means hurt me. He has said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom of God. He has promised, hey, hey, he promised he'll come back. Did you know? One of the last things he said when, after he had rose from the dead, well, let me back up and let me tell you about that one. He told the people, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. Some, you know, real educated fellow said, 40 and 6 years this temple was in construction and building, and you will raise it in three days. How be it? He spoke not of the synagogue. He spoke not of the building. He spoke of this temple. He said, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. That's why he was placed in a borrowed tomb. He didn't need to buy one. He wasn't going to be there for three days. <laughs> You see, he promised, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'll rise again. And guess what? On the third day, oh, son, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate it. On Friday night, they crucified him, but guess what? Sunday's coming. Amen? And guess what? The grave could not hold him. Death could not hold him. Why? He made us a promise as Jonah was in the belly of a whale. Even so, the Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth for three days. Hello? Yeah coming out. I'm coming out. It will not hold me. And I want to tell you something else he said to us. He said uh, right before he left, these angels said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heaven? Don't you know this same Jesus that is going away in like manner shall come again? Paul told the Thessalonians, the trump of the Lord one day is going to sound and the dead in Christ is going to rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He said, I am coming back. Hey, he's made us some wonderful promises. He promised me not only that it's come, did you know he promised me immortality? You know, I got looking at some pictures of me the other day, and I said, man, I don't know what they've done with Mike Sainz, and I ain't sure who that is right there. I used to have hair, and I used to didn't have no crow's feet and all that, but here's what the Lord said. One day I'm going to come back, and this old mortal will put on immortality, this old corruptible body that gets old and tired and wore out. I hurt my knee the other day, and I struggled around for the first three or four days on the mission trip, but there's coming a day when every knee is going to quit hurting. Every back's going to straighten up. Are y'all hearing me? Every headache's going to go away. He promised us one time there'll be perpetual healing for the saints of God. Let's get started telling you about you need to know the promises of God. How do you know them? Read the word of God. Second thing you got to, to, to do is you need to understand the promises of God. I ain't even told you what they are yet, but we'll get there. You got to understand the promises of God. Now, I'm going to say something, and I really want to tone down for a second because I want you to get this. I don't want you to shout right past it. You got to understand the promise of God, the promises of God. First of all, Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a human being that he should lie 
or a mortal that he should change his mind. He has promised, and will he not do it? He has spoken, will he not fulfill it? Yes, he will. Here's the problem. Some of us want the promise without the premise. Some of us want to claim the promise of God. I mean, we come to church and we, we say, well, 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 a pastor said God was going to bless my money. He said God was going to bless my marriage. We want to claim the promise of God without walking in a covenant relationship with God. Hello? Mm. That's kind of like friends with benefits. You just sort of sleep together, hang out together, live. Oh, is it Sunday morning? Am I saying? I mean, you just sort of shack up together and enjoy sex with one another, companionship with one another, but no commitment to one another. All right. Yeah. You see, and so many of us, we want the hand of God, but not the heart of God. We want God, what God can give us, but we don't want to make no commitment. And the problem is this. We cannot, we, we cannot claim the promise of God if we're not walking in a relationship with God. But once we get into a right relationship with God, we can say, now, God, I want to remind you of the promise that you have made concerning my family or whatever else. So... You need to know the promise of God. And then, as I said, you need to understand them. Understanding is understanding that I need to be in a right relationship with God. But else, I don't have no right to tell God I'm claiming these promises. Third thing you need to do, uh, you need to pursue the promise of God. Are, are you pursuing the promises of God? You say, well, th this offer's on the table. Listen, the offer can be on the table, but unless you accept the offer, what good is it? So, Psalm 119, 140, your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. If eight verses later, my eyes awake before each watch of the night that I might meditate on your promise. So here's it. About the promises of God, you need to know them, you need to understand them, and you need to be chasing after them. You need to be pursuing them. So here's that verse that comes out of Exodus 6. I might have said two earlier, but it's Exodus 6, verse 6 and 7. Here's that scripture that contained those first four. And I'll read it. I'll put it up on the screen for you. So here it is. He says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. What's this? Here's the first promise. I will bring you out. Somebody say, I'll bring you out. He said, I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That was the first promise. I will bring you out. The next one, he said, I will free you. That's the second promise. I will free you from being slaves to them. Third promise, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a mighty act of judgment. In verse 7, the fourth promise is I will take you as my own people, and I'll be your God, and then you'll know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So here's the promises. Y'all with me? The first promise, he says, I will bring you out. That's Easter Sunday morning. Amen? That is the message of salvation. He says, I will bring you out. Did you know Egypt is, um, it, it is a type and shadow of our life in sin? He said to the Israelites, I will physically take you out of the geography of Egypt. Are you with me? Notice with me what Titus says in the Message Bible, Titus 3 and 3. Very, very powerful passage of Scripture. He said, it wasn't long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. <laughs> uh, dupes of sin ordered every which way by our glands. <laughs> he says, going around with a chip on our shoulder, 
hated and being hating back or hating back. He says, and when God, our kind and loving Savior, God stepped in, he saved us from all of that. It was all his doing, and we had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. Huh? Y'all know what a good bath is? Yeah. He gave us a good bath. I remember one time I was working on the Suburban. I mean, I was, you know, a grease monkey from head to toe. And I thought I'd give myself a good bath. I mean, my hands, I, I, I hate wearing gloves working, but sometimes I, um, I do, and then, but sometimes I just have to take the gloves off. But I scrubbed, man, I even had the Gojo in the shower with me. I was scrubbing, and man, that's just some pretty gritty stuff, man. But I'm scrubbing. I get on out of the shower, and my wife says to me, did you even wash your face? And I had missed a big old streak of grease across my ear right here. But the Bible says, he says that God gave us a good bath. In other words, he didn't leave no marks on you. He gave us a good bath, he says, and we came out of it a new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationships with him and given us back our lives. And there's more to come, an eternity of life. I told you there's more out there. You can count on this, he says. He says, I want you to put your foot down. Take a firm stand to see these matters that no one uh, who have put their trust in God will concentrate on the essentials that are Good, he says, for everyone. So these core promises of God, I'm going to bring you out. That's salvation. He says, and then the next, so that's what we're going to deal with on Easter Sunday. Hey, but, but understand this. Right now we're talking about the four core promises, and I'm giving you the sort of overview. I'm going to bring you out. I'll free you. I'll redeem you, and I'll take you as my own. So today we're doing the overview. Uh, good Friday night is our Passover lamb. So we're going to talk about that. And then this message and Friday night sets us up for the first cup. The first cup is that cup of salvation. Amen. And we're going to be talking about that, man. That's going to be an incredible time. So he says, I'm going to free you. Uh, excuse me. Uh, he's, I'm going to bring you out. That's a cup of salvation. And then the next week, we're going to talk about the cup of deliverance. He said, I will free you. Some of you gave your heart to the Lord, but you are still, you got some strongholds in your life. Struggling with some things that's just really holding you down, killing your testimony. He says, deliverance. You see, you got out of Egypt, but Egypt's still in you. No longer a slave, but you have the heart of a slave, the mentality of a slave. Hey. And God says, and this will be on Baptism Sunday, the one after Easter. He says, I will free you. So it's a promise. I'll bring you out. The second promise is I will free you. And you got to see it in the way they've done it. He says, I'm going to bring you out. Oh, praise God. He's going to bring us out of bondage. And they took the cup. I will free you. In other words, I'll deliver you from all the chains of bondage and all that is going on. You see, you're not slaves anymore. He said, I... Listen, I understand Romans 7 and 25 says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God, but with the flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of Christ and uh, Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. So I know some of you say, Man, I've got some of this junk in my life. Just stop. Don't beat yourself up. You're going to have an opportunity to turn that over to God. 
He says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, we surrender all of that. And we ask God who has the power to get it out of us. Huh? Whatever urges, whatever it is, I mean, whatever things it is that we do. And Paul struggled. I mean, Paul that wrote a third of the Bible says, I know how to do good. I know what I'm supposed to do. And then I know what I do. He said, I'm struggling with this old man called the flesh and that that I want to do, I don't always do. And that that I know I should not do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? So then we have to serve the Lord with our mind and with our heart and with, anyway. So he said, I promise to deliver you. And then the third promise was, I will redeem you is what he said. Uh, what does that mean? That is the promise of restoration. In other words, you mean he told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you and ordained you a prophet. You were born for something, and the greatest day of your life, subsequent to getting saved, is when you find out why. I said, you were born for something, and the second greatest day of your life, second only to getting saved, is when you find out why you were born. I don't know if it's to be a musician, if it's to be a singer, if it's to be whatever it is. I don't know. Um, but in Ephesians 1.11, he says this concerning restoration. It is, Christ, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Isn't that great? Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. God has plans for you. He truly does. What does it mean to be restored? It means to be brought back to the original purpose that something was designed for. Some of us have taken some wrong roads in our life. And God intended us to do a certain thing and be a certain thing. But we derailed that. We decided because we have volition. We get to choose what we're going to do. We decide, no, Lord, I'm going to be a rebel. I'm going to do what I want to. Kind of like Jonah. The Lord called Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. And you know what he said? Man, I'm out. He went down to, 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 to Joppa, bought a ticket, paid the fare thereof, and turned 180 degrees away and started heading toward Tarshish. Amen? We have all turned. The Bible says, uh, all we like sheep, Isaiah 53 and 6, all we like sheep, have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Man, you better be here Friday night. It was an awful, awful thing for him to, it was awful on his part or for him to become the Passover lamb. But look what it did for you and I to bring us. So I will redeem you. That will be the third Sunday from Easter. And then last um, I'll take you as my own. In other words, God promises me fulfillment. God promises me fulfillment. And some of you, I know you've asked that question, surely there's more to life than this. Surely there's more than, than, than what I'm seeing. I want to tell you something. Until we can say John 10 and 10. John 10 and 10 says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Until you can realize that you're indeed living an abundant life. Those promises are not yet brought to fruition in your life. All the promises of God, all of these that I ran down the road talking about just a second ago, 
for protection and for family and for finances and for all, all of that. Did you know all of these are wrapped up in the four core promises of God? God says, I will bring you out. It has to do with salvation. I will free you. It has to do with deliverance. I will redeem you. It has to do with being restored to what you were intended to be. Huh? I will take you as my own. It has to do with fulfilling your life. And when life is over, to be able to lay your head on a, in a coffin or a pillow somewhere and say, like Paul, I fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. I've lived an abundant life. Henceforth there's laid up a crown of righteousness for me, not only me, but for all those who love God's appearing. You've got a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be an evangelist this week. These cards are available. Ushers will have them just outside these doors. I, I want it to implore you not to leave until you get five or six, seven of these cards. The difference in a growing church and a dying church is parishioners that will be bold enough to invite somebody to the house of God. And you don't really have to say anything about your church. You don't have to make us sound like we're the best thing since sliced bread because we're, we're really just human beings like everybody else. But what you want to highlight is the experience that they're going to feel when they get in the presence of God. It's not the only church, by all means, because there's no way we could just have a free market on everything. God's, God's a big God. There's people in thousands upon thousands of churches right now feeling the same presence and power of God. Would you stand with me right now? I'm going to ask you to believe with me and I'm believing for 75 souls to get saved in our Easter season. Amen. Give the Lord praise. I'm just going to ask you to do your part. And your part is simply invite. On Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not sure exactly what day it'll be. There's the big brother to this card, which is about yay wide and about that tall will hit the house of every residence in Camden County and Charlton County. Amen. Well, over $2,000 in just postage, and God has blessed us with a wonderful printer that says, I'll get the printing if you get the postage. Amen, Brother Richard. Now, I'll say this. The greatest thing we can do is get people in the house of God. It's not to come hear a wonderful message. There's great, a lot of great preachers that can preach better than I. It's not about great singing and, and all of that. We, I think, I really think we got the best. That's just my personal biased opinion. But they're not coming for that. They're coming because of what they feel when they get here. They're coming for what God can do. Now listen to me. If it was preaching, I believe they would have already came. If it was singing, I believe it would have already came. But nobody can come unless the Spirit of the Lord draws them. So I'm asking you to be the hand of the Lord, be the voice of the Lord, be the legs of the Lord reaching out to people this week. And, and listen, if we'll do our part, God will do his part. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. 
Lord, we pray corporately right now. We've never done a Good Friday service. We don't know what to expect. We don't know how many people's going to show up. We don't know how many's going to be lost or how many's saved. But we are going to preach a message about the Passover lamb. We're going to give an altar call and we're going to call for salvation. We're going to believe God to save souls. We're going to break bread together, Lord. We're going to drink of the cup together. I'm asking you, Lord, to help me be the hands and the feet of the Lord this week. I'm asking that our church, Lord, would show the love of Christ in everything we do. We've set a lofty goal, and it's not about us. It's about you. So use every one of these brothers and sisters this week in Jesus' name. Amen.